Welcome to another episode of the Ask a CISO podcast, powered by Harangi, Asia's leader in cloud security. Every episode, you get insider tips and insights into current challenges and newest trends in cybersecurity from the world's best experts to help level up your cybersecurity career. Here's your host, Paul Hadji, to introduce today's guest. All right, everyone. Uh, thanks again for uh, listening in on the podcast. Um, uh, do uh, subscribe uh, if you get a chance, either on YouTube or uh, on uh, Spotify. Um, but uh, with me here today, uh, we have uh, Alexandra. Uh, so originally from the ne Netherlands, uh, Alexandra started her career in, in tech sell sales, uh, selling video banners in London. Uh, a few, few years in uh, New York and a few startups later, she returned to London and joined Google uh, in 2012 to sell a SaaS platform and build a SaaS strategy, uh, as well as a team uh, from the ground up uh, for EMEA. Um, and uh, Alexandra moved to Singapore in 2018 and joined uh, Safe Security uh, earlier this year. Uh, where she's the senior regional sales director covering APAC. Uh, Alexandra specializes in building out sales teams for companies in hyper growth uh, and at hyper speed, and is passionate about tech, travel, and tennis. So, uh, Alexandra, tell us a bit more about yourself that uh, I didn't kind of cover uh, uh, there. I think that's pretty much it, Paul. But yeah, I've been um, I've been in Singapore for about four years now, uh, loving it. Obviously, loving the the new freedom. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it feels really good. Uh, yeah, I love tech, uh, and I've been like intrigued about cybersecurity for a couple of years now. And I decided to finally make the jump in the industry and start my gig in January. So a bit of a newcomer to cyber, but tech is tech. Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to the, the space and, uh, congrats on the new role. I think, um, definitely exciting and, and curious to hear more uh, throughout the podcast. Uh, so let, let's start with uh, some stuff a little bit uh, less specific on security and talk talk a bit about you. How was your your long weekend? Uh, we well, for those of you listening, we had a four day weekend here in uh, uh, Singapore, which was which was nice. And for me, it's always a surprise because I always forget about the holidays. But curious, uh, 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 how how yours was, Alexandra? Um, it was really good. I mean, like I said, I'm really enjoying the new freedoms. So I had a barbecue with I don't even know how many people like a lot, at least 15 to 20 people. Um, so that felt really good. I played a little bit of tennis. And then like most of us, I still had some friendly people from the US and EMEA because, you know, cyber waits for no one. So I still got a few pings on Monday and Tuesday from people saying, oh, I know it's a holiday, but any news on that POV or, you know, any news on, on these questions. So, um, yeah, it's still it's still a good weekend. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, definitely. Mine was was similar, pretty quiet, but uh, had a few things pop up for sure. Um, so you moved out here in, in to Singapore from London almost four year, years ago. How, how was that move? And like, yeah, any culture shocks for you? And and what do you think are the major differences there? Um, I mean, there's no real culture shocks. I mean, we all know Singapore is a great place to live. It's it's Asia for beginners, right? Can't can't really complain. But there's a few differences. I mean, I, I moved with Google and my role at Google in London was covering EMEA. And then my role in Singapore was to cover APAC. So in a way you're like, oh, that's, that's, that's the same. That can't be that different. I mean, that was a bit of a culture shock because EMEA, I mean, a lot of European countries, you can group them together and then you can find projects at scale. So something that works well in the Netherlands will probably also work well in Germany. 
you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit homogenous. Uh, and then I arrive at AFAC thinking I'm going to, I'm going to conquer, I'm going to conquer everything. And then you realize like, oh, I, I can't do something in Korea and then roll that out in Japan. I can't group together Thailand, Vietnam, and the Philippines. It just doesn't work that way. It's incredibly diverse and things just don't, don't scale. So that was a bit of a shock. Uh, just traveling, you're like, oh, I need to get to Tokyo. Ah, it's going to take a while, right? <laughs> it's going to take a while or all the way back down to Australia. Um, but I think APAC's incredible. I've obviously really enjoyed it. it it's home to 60% of the world's population. And, and I think we can be a huge, huge growth engine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's, there's a lot of opportunity and like all the markets are growing pretty fast as well, which I think is, uh, something that's exciting. And then, yeah, of course, like, uh, from the Google side of things, cloud is, is the thing. Um, so there's a lot of growth, uh, across that sector as well, which is, which is exciting. So, um, yeah, maybe, maybe tell us a bit more about your, your time at, at, at Google. Well, magical place. Like, honestly, I can't, I can't say much, much bad things about it. It, it is. Um, you know, as magical as it claims to be. So I spent 10 years there. So we'll start with the good things. So all the legends are true. You do get the silly little hat when you join and you're called a Nugla and you carry that title with pride for a few months. Um, the food is amazing. The offices are playgrounds come, you know, meeting room, extravaganza. Um, it's incredible. But, you know, it, it really does work. I mean, I used to easily spend 12 hours at the office. Um, and, you know, Google would, would make me want to be there. They would make me want to just work more and more, more as if it is a startup, even though, you know, it's, it's not necessary. Um, I really like the kind of no asshole rule that they have. And, you know, they are very strict in their hiring and, and hiring people that are fit and making sure that everyone gets treated, um, you know, with, with respect and everyone has a voice and you, you, you truly do feel that even though it's a company of, I think now it's at 150,000 people. Um, I literally met thousands and thousands of Googlers and most of them are absolutely incredible. So those are all the, the good things. In terms of, I'd say the, the bad things, um, they're not bad, but for me, like I'm, I'm in, I'm in sales, right? Um, and so I'm used to kind of driving revenue and building sales teams and kind of trying to grow things as, as fast as possible. Um, and sales at Google, obviously Google has a couple of money printing machines in the basement. There is Google search, there is YouTube, there is Android, there is cloud. Uh, and yeah, they're money printing machines. They literally do. They just churn out millions of dollars every day. Uh, so for me, in terms of building out sales teams and, and training and coaching sales people, individuals, um, it's actually quite hard because you always have that machine behind you. <laughs> and oftentimes, you know, the product is reasonably mature in terms of search and video. Um, so I didn't feel that we were pushing salespeople to be the best salespeople that they can be on, on a personal level. Um, and then the other thing that I, I thought was quite interesting is that, you know, we have a, a there's a lack of urgency there. So I now work at, at a startup and you're at a, at a similar type hyper growth company. It's like, let's do it today. 
because tomorrow or the day after is obviously too late, right? Let's just do it right now. And I remember at one point I was working on a, a very, very large client um, and they were launching a new campaign. It was due live on like Friday night, obviously it makes complete sense. Um, things weren't working. The client called me up. It was a search campaign. The client called me up and uh, things weren't working. So I said, okay, let me look into it. I file a ticket, et cetera, et cetera. Apparently it's a, it's a P0 bug. So it's a really big deal, right? And for my client, it's a, it's a really big deal. Most of the weekend, I'm not hearing much from engineering and product because there's probably a few P0 bugs. I'm not sure. Um, long story short, on the Monday, somehow the bug gets resolved. Amazing. However, when I look at what's happened over the weekend, which is obviously nothing, and looking at the lost revenue that we have, and obviously my, my, my client didn't get to run their campaign, we lost more than just over a million dollars in potential revenue over the weekend. So I want to fire someone, you know, I want to have like a proper debrief and a sit down with everyone in the room and be like, guys, what happened? Right. That never happened. When I spoke to engineering, they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine now. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah but I lost a million dollars. They're like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's been nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I was like, I, I cannot, I cannot just sit here and be like, oh, we just lost a million dollars. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, not something I've ever experienced, but uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe one day you will. <laughs> yeah, I'd still probably be pretty fiery about it as well. Correct. Uh, yeah, it's not acceptable, but that yeah. is what it is. Um, cool. So you, so you made the jump, uh, over to security. Uh, tell us more about that. Um, yeah. Like what, what do you like? What, what's been challenging? Like I'm sure a lot of people are interested in kind of entering into the security space, um, uh, from something analogous or maybe something that's, that's not, um, but curious to hear your experience and, and any learnings you have. Ah, let me think. I mean, for me, tech is tech, like microwaves, rocket ships, the internet, cybersecurity, it's all just tech, right? So you can learn it. And, and for me, my motivation is always to try and work in a space and, 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 and sell a product that excites me. So, you know, bumped, uh, jumped into video in the early 2000s and then mobile in the 2010. Uh, so for me, cybersecurity was very much a no brainer. Uh, is it hard? Yeah. It is. It's pretty technical. There's a lot of acronyms. Yeah. There's a lot of words that I'm not always entirely sure what they mean, but that's why we have Google and we have mobile phones that you can hold under the meeting room table and you can Google something if you really have to. Or honestly, I think you can also just ask. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, what I'm seeing more and more is that the CISOs that I speak to are saying that they're really under-resourced and they're obviously hiring, but they actually can't find anyone. They can't find people that fit that, that description of you know, 10 years of solid cyber experience, technical background, da, da, da. And it's like, well, you're going to have to open up your, uh, your requirements and find more people. And I would encourage, uh, you know, anyone who's in cloud or anything like that to, to join the, the cybersecurity movement. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's an exciting space. I think the, the good thing about it, um, which is also the challenging part is that, that everything changes very quickly. Because uh, essentially it's subsequently based on uh, technology, right? So all the technology is changing with cloud and like all these new cloud technologies as well. 
Um, and subsequently, we got to figure out how to, to secure that, right? So uh, it's a constant challenge. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I, I see a lot of times in resumes and, and sort of uh, job descriptions where they're asking for like 10, 15 years of cyber experience, but uh, so much changes uh, in those 10 to 15 years. You may have the 10 to 15 years of experience, but but what's relevant is really the past couple because uh, everything else is completely different from what it was when you, you started your career, which is, is my case too. Like everything was on-prem when I started, I spent a lot of time in like closed rooms, uh, server rooms and stuff. And I haven't been inside of a server room, uh, uh, at least as much, as long as I can re like remember in recent times. So, uh, most of the time in Tarangi, I haven't been inside of a server room. Right. So, uh, I think times are changing, um, uh, which is good and, and makes, I think the industry exciting because the security challenges change too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you just want people that are curious, people that want to learn. And like you said, the, the, the knowledge and the know-how of how things were done five or 10 years ago might not actually be relevant. Obviously it's great if you do have it, because it's sometimes it's easier to put things into context, but I think, you know, that the rate at which the industry is growing, we need more and more people to, to, to join. And I'll also take away that, that piece, uh, of, you know, people saying, oh, it's, it's cyber. I, I wouldn't understand. Like I wouldn't know. It's like, no, it's not that hard. You know how to use the internet. You know what the internet is. So there you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think there's, uh, I think a majority of cyber is that way, right? Like there's, there's aspects of it that you need to learn in terms of, uh, security really. So if you're even like a, from a traditional security background, I think cyber is even easier to learn than if you're not. Um, uh, but also like there are some technical aspects that I think are very difficult. Um, but I think the amount of people that are actually touching those things is, is quite small. Um, yeah. uh, so, uh, yeah, I think it, it, it can easily be learned and, and to get into the industry, it's, uh, you know, I think it's fine to not have experience, especially in certain roles. Yeah. Uh, and I still yeah. think, I mean, from, for, for me now, my tool is very much something that we talk to CISOs and, and we talk to people at, uh, you know, people on the boards at companies that want to know, like, how much is my company at risk? I mean, those people barely know how to use the internet, right? <laughs> So it's also important to translate those risks and what, what's important and what's not important to, you know, business people, chief revenue officers, CISOs, CFOs, uh, in order to, you know, keep this ecosystem going and, and not fight for tiny IT budgets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I guess next, next question, what's kind of your take on the cybersecurity product landscape? Like, do you think uh, customers are having a hard time choosing one product over another. And like, what do you think customers are actually looking for? Uh, yeah. That's, that's actually, yeah. Let me get you my little, so this is my little cheat sheet. Hang on a sec. <laughs> Stuff on my wall. So this, right? <laughs> so yeah, this is what it looks like. No. Um, it's very confusing. <laughs> Needless to say, it's very confusing. So, I mean, I think that's probably the first thing that a lot of CISO that I, I talk to are looking for. It's like, explain to me what it is you do and what, what solution can you, can you bring to me? Um, and I, I already think that a lot of CISOs have a, a really hard job and they are incredibly busy. So explain it to me in 30 seconds, I think is very, very much what they're looking for. And also, you know, educate me on why, why does it matter? You know, help give me some clarity. Another thing that I think is really important, and I've always sold tools that do this, is um, make sure that the tools that you're using or tools that you're adding can integrate with each other and complement each other, so that that's so so that you're not using ten different tools 
with different metrics and, and, and different goals and different ways of doing things. Um, so that's something else that I think is, is important. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I mean, integration with other security tools, if you're not the end all be all, that is, uh, is, is a very important part of, part of like actually accomplishing something, uh, because I think all, um, security people, whether, um, external or internal kind of, kind of suffer from, uh, alert fatigue. Um, uh, so making sure your alerts or whatever it is you're identifying are going to the right place to where like a ticket is being created and someone's looking at it, I think is, is part of the battle of actually, uh, sort of adding value as a security tool. Uh, in a, a, a sort of um, mesh of other security tools, um, which uh, you know most security companies aren't aren't the end all be all. Uh, so um, you know there's a lot of opportunities to integrate and and continue to provide value in in your platform, of course, but but also outside of it, which I think is just as important, especially at larger organizations. Mm. That's something we we focus on uh, as well. Um, yeah. So, um, so, so kind of um, uh, uh, in most industries, like products are becoming a bit more similar. Yeah. Um, how do you think uh, cybersecurity com companies can kind of differentiate themselves uh, in their, their pitches? And, and, and yeah, tell us more about SAFE uh, as well. Oh, thanks. Um, I mean, time will tell, right? So looking back at this ridiculous Louvrescape, uh, which, you know, is, is probably going to be changing uh, day by day. I always look back at, um, you know, search engines. So when I started out like 20 years ago, um, there's quite a few search engines around. So nowadays everything's Google, right? But at the time there was, um, I don't know if you remember all of these, but there was Lycos. They had like a black Labrador as their, their logo. They yeah. were kind of cool. And uh, there was Yahoo. There was Alta Vista. Uh, in the UK, we had uh, something called Ask Jeeves. No, oh, yeah, um, right. yeah. <laughs> And then there was Google and somehow miraculously, Google is the one that came out on top. And I feel in a lot of cybersecurity products, like firewalls, EDRs, uh, you name it, we, we really don't know right now who's going to come out on top. There's going to be some, some M&As, there's going to be some, some consolidation. Um, but yeah, I think right now, sometimes on the surface of it, when you, when you look at a couple of tools, they are quite similar. And they and they fix a similar problem because we're all seeing similar problems in the industry that, that we want to solve. And there's a lot of a lot of money in terms of VCs being thrown around and new companies popping up. So I think that's kind of natural what's happening right now. So over the next few years, I do think that it's probably gonna it's probably gonna thin out. So yeah, yeah. I think like consolidation in this space is is bound to come. I mean, it's already happening, right? I think Palo Alto has bought like fourteen companies over the past three years, um, uh, and like a lot of the bigger guys will continue to do that. I think it it only makes sense, um, especially as like new sort of problems uh, uh, and solutions come up. Um, makes a lot of sense for these bigger companies to acquire uh, uh, sort of solutions that they can then sell through their huge amounts of uh, channel partners and sort of uh, uh, existing customer base, right? So. Um, yeah, hundred percent agree. I think there's going to be a lot, uh, there. Um, and then, yeah, like you know, some, unfortunately probably won't make it as well, but, uh, that's, that's the name of the game. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Um, so what are kind of some major misconceptions, uh, organizations here have about purchasing cybersecurity products and services? Um, Misconceptions. I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. I think, I mean, I'm seeing that, you know, CISOs are incredibly busy. So yeah, they very much just want a quick pitch. 
And then they just sort of fit you in the box. Like, ah, oh, this is the solution that you provide. Oh, actually, I already have one of these tools, so I don't need it. Have a nice day. So I think it's, you know, somehow kind of taking a little bit of extra time in understanding um, exactly what are all the different solutions that are, that are out there. Um, doing some more POVs if you have time to actually test and test and learn. Uh, but again, going back to our early conversation, you need resources to do that. And you need time to do that. And those are things that most cyber teams at companies just don't have. So I think that's why it's, it's really hard. You know, if, if you feel like you're constantly under attack, which they are, and they're constantly putting out fires, it's hard to put together a solid strategic plan uh, for an enterprise to say, oh, this is, this is our, our, our risk management strategy. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, definitely is hard. And I think, um, you know, standing out in the sea is also difficult. Um, uh, uh, and like what we use is, is ROI. Uh, that's one of the things that we found that kind of, uh, uh, you can often point to, to certain people within the company and that, that helps them provide value. Um, but the best way to experience that, of course, is to just use the product, right? So we do a lot of uh, POCs and trials and things like oh, that. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, something else, and I think you that's kind of in, in your question, I think like the words itself, like the word sales pitch, uh, no one wants to hear a sales pitch. Mm-hmm. No one has time for that. So if there's anything that I'm trying to bring to the table is to really try and understand what are the what are the pain points that you're experiencing in, in cyber? Is it your technology? Is it your workforce? Is it policy and compliance? Uh, and then try and see how my tool could potentially fit in. Because a sales pitch is, uh, yeah, it's, it's awful. No one wants to hear that, right? No one needs to see that. Yeah. Cool. So um, you're, you're a big believer in team building. Uh, so so uh, tell me, tell us a bit more about how you came to believe so strongly in this. And like, what do you think are kind of the advantages of it? And uh, what, what do you want to build into to your teams to, to make them successful? Oh, wow. Yeah, one can dream. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky. I mean, I've, yeah, I've always had, you know, great colleagues and, and great mentors and managers to, to work with. And that the first one was very much uh, when I worked at my first tech startup in, in London. Um, you know, we were very scrappy at the beginning and then we just grew beautifully on this trajectory uh, and I used to sell the product and then in the evenings I would actually traffic things myself within the tool very basic coding and then nine ten o'clock in the evening I'd have some pizza and then we'd all go home and sleep and then the next day we'd, we'd do that over and over again um, I mean how do you build a team it's just very much living through growth at that scale um, together. I mean, the, um, the other part of my job, to just to like show how, how small that company was at the time is when I was hired, I was the most junior salesperson in the office. I had to buy milk on Mondays for coffee and tea in the office. We had a small fridge. And I had to vacuum the office on Friday afternoon. Mm. And then I would go to the pub. Nice. With, with the tea. But then, you know, uh, seven years later, we IPO'd at $250 million. If you would have told me that when I had to buy milk on Mondays and get a dollar back from my boss for the milk, I would have said, I, I I don't know. I don't know. But as, as a team, we did that. It was sales, marketing, PR, account management, engineering products. 
you know, because it was a fairly small company, I knew everyone. And we all, you know, very much had to work together. We even had a sofa in the office that we would, you know, take naps on uh, yeah. because we were just working, you know, insane amount of hours. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a big believer in naps. I think it's uh, important for <laughs> uh, life. Uh, I have a, a couch behind me, uh, which is where I nap. Um, it seems like you have one as well. I don't um, know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, yeah, but but uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely understand like the small company thing. I mean, Harangi not not that long ago was was just uh, a couple of us uh, uh, actually in an apartment, so we didn't even have an office. We were working out of our apartment, um, uh, so it was a, a good time. And uh, yeah, everyone was doing everything, and um, there was lots of work to always be done. Um, but uh, things are changing. Everyone's specializing. Uh, companies getting bigger, which is which is good, um, but it's a different job now. So uh, that's, that's uh, yeah. changes. Yeah. And also to explain teams, like teams doesn't mean like working as part of a team doesn't mean you always have to agree, right? If anything, it actually means that you do have the power to disagree with people. And that's totally fine. But at the end of the day, you need to all kind of agree to disagree and then commit and act on it, act on it together. There should never be like, you know, something went wrong during a launch or, you know, you missed the deadline. There should never be that kind of finger pointing that can quite easily go on where they're like, oh, it's that, it, it's that. Oh, it's, it's like, no, no, it's, it's all of us. Yeah. That I feel is, is, you know, really, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's like, a, it sounds like a, a functioning team, right? So it's like all about getting to that, that, that point. Yeah. Um, Cool. Um, so you're a big believer in uh, diversity in the industry. Um, yeah, help us kind of uh, define uh, what diversity uh, means to you. And then, then also, like, what do you think uh, we in cyber can be doing more to uh, kind of, uh, yeah, just have more diversity? Um, I mean, funny story, actually, because that's how you and I originally met. I don't know if you remember, but I was, so as I was doing my research to join the, the cyber, cyber industry, I remember watching a, a webinar and like there was a panel, this was during COVID. So, you know, everything was very boring. Everything yeah. was online and you were on the panel and I believe the panel was four or five people and it was all men. Yeah. And I decided to heckle people a little bit and just like, yeah, I'll ask, ask you guys why there was no women on that panel. So I, I, I apologize for that. But for me, diversity is like, we're now at a point where I think, you know, it's a super hot topic. Everyone, I think kind of agrees that diversity is very much needed. Everyone can kind of see that we're not quite there yet in terms of numbers and in terms of true diversity and in terms of senior leadership and, and tech and engineering. Um, so that's why I then kind of called it out. You know, whenever I see panels or I see boardroom uh, full, full of men, um, I call it out. And diversity is not just important kind of for, for me as, as a person, but it's actually better for organizations and, and companies uh, in order to, to, you know, move faster and, and come up with more innovative solutions. So I'll give you an example, just simple, like, you know, at Google, let's say we would come up against a, a, a new type of problem or a new product that we were thinking about. Um, if you pull in, let's say 15 people into a room to look at this, this problem statement that you can write on the wall and do some brainstorming about it and say, how, how could we fix this? If you have 15 people in that room that all come from a very similar background, similar culture, similar education, similar kind of level in terms of, you know, society or, or anything like that, 
then you're probably going to come up with one solution because everyone's kind of thinking, uh, you know, and, and you come up with a solution and maybe that solution's fine. Maybe it is. But if you have a room full of people that come from different places, different perspectives, different ideas, you could come up with three or four solutions and if, you know, they could be amazing. They could be entirely new, entirely different, and that could be your 10x idea. So that's why yeah. I care about diversity. Yeah, for sure. I think the diversity of uh, sort of thinking and yeah. um, uh, just life experience as well, I think is, is important because uh, it does generate uh, different and new ideas, which ultimately like, and in my opinion, like the best idea wins. So uh, the, <laughs> oh. more, uh, uh, the more ideas you have, the more you can kind of like figure out which one's the best. And um, yeah, the yeah. diversity of uh, thinking and, and experiences is a huge part of that. Um, yeah. And in terms of women, we're just not quite there yet. Like, I don't want to sit on my soapbox, but, you know, only 15% of, um, of Fortune 500 companies in the US, 15% have a female CEO. And the world to me just doesn't look like that. So I don't understand why at that level, it shouldn't be roughly the, the same as well. And what, what fascinates me, I'll, I'll share a quick personal story, is uh, I was raised on my dad. My dad was a single parent. So he raised me. So in my mind, I've always kind of not thought too much about gender as an issue or a problem or, or whatever. And then my children were actually raised when they were small. They were raised also by, by their dad. He stayed at home for the first few years of their lives so he could look after them. And then I kind of kept going at Google. Um, so I think it's really interesting how it really only takes kind of one generation to, to even out the, the bar. So I have one eight-year-old, her name's Anna. Um, and the other day we were just like chit-chatting about life and what she wants to do, whatever. And she's like, oh, I think I'm going to get married when I'm 50. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, first of all, that's illegal. Um, so why don't we sit down and have a, have an apple juice and we'll, we'll talk about this. Cause I thought this was a really weird statement. So we sit down, have some apple juice. So I'm like, Anna, why do you want to get married? Like, what, what, what's this? And then she's like, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll get married when I'm 20. So I'm like, better. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, that's still really young, Anna. Like you don't need to get married at such a young age. Like just, you know, live your life. And then she looked at me and she said, but mama, if I'm not married, who's going to look after the kids while I'm at work? <laughs> and I just love that because obviously that's how she perceives, you know, the world. It's not her or her husband or wife or whoever who has to stay home and look after the kids. Like that, that, that decision to her is like neutral. Yeah, that, um, that is interesting. Uh, yeah. Interesting thought process from her. And yeah, it was really cute. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, 15, uh, starting age, <laughs> that is young. I was like, oh, wow. I was like, where's this going? Yeah, yeah no, it's not, it's cheaper oh, no. weight. Um, but yeah, diversity, like, yeah, it, it really, it really matters to me personally. And I think as a, as a society, we should all, you know, look, look to kind of even, even that out. And it's, it's definitely happening. I see it. I see it on panels, obviously at Google, things actually changed a lot from when I joined to by the time I left, yeah. but, you know, when, when I joined. I looked at all my managers and Google's quite flat, right? It's lovely like that. And it kind of shows who are all your, what, what does your reporting line look like to Larry and Sergey? And when I would look at all my managers, they were all male. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's discouraging. 
it's like, why, why is there not someone that I can relate to a little bit more or, or, you know, and, and that's all it takes. Just a few women in those, you know, senior lead in, in those senior leadership roles and you're there, but to have none seems a little, you know, seems yeah. a little odd. It's like when you walk around on the streets and like I said, what, 15% of, of CEOs are, uh, are female. If you walked around on the street and you, there was only 15% women walking around society would feel really weird <laughs> you're like this is a strange place what is this yeah um all right well we'll just kind of like to to wrap up uh and kind of um uh, uh under and, and get your like opinions on the space in general um I'd be curious like like kind of what you foresee uh for the cybersecurity industry uh in apac like over the next few years and like like i mean also like obviously we're talking about diversity so where that kind of fits in like what would you like to see um, uh, uh, in diversity side of things. I mean, in diversity, it's, it, I think it's just one of these things that will, will sort itself out in time. I'm, I'm not a big, uh, you know, proponent of saying, you know, you can only hire, only hire women because you should never do that. You should always obviously hire the right person for the job. Um, but you should make sure that when you're interviewing people, you find candidates from all walks of life and from different diverse backgrounds. Right. And if you see that that's not happening, you need to call that out. Like, like I did when I saw you on that panel and there's like six blokes on the panel. So I'm like, Hey, that's, that's a lot of guys. <laughs> Surely you can find a woman somewhere <laughs> in terms of, uh, in terms of trends that kind of I'm seeing, um, a lot of, a lot of talk about data privacy and compliance. So, you know, the GDPR and in, in EMEA, and then, you know, we don't quite have the equivalent in, in APAC, but you see a lot of local governments are kind of starting to, uh, yeah. yeah, trying to, to put those things in, uh, in place. So I think that's very interesting. I think it's Sing in Singapore, we're probably quite, quite well developed for that. Uh, ransomware. I actually just read that in India in 2021, one in four companies reported a, a ransomware attack. I mean, that's, that's huge. One in four. That's absolutely that's incredible. Crazy. So, you know, how, Weird, how, like how in, uh, if you have that article, you should uh, send it to uh, us and we can link it. Cause that is pretty interesting. That's, that's pretty profound. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's huge. I mean, it's ransomware as a service, right? It's, it's easily, it's easily done in a sense, right? I'm, what we're seeing is that people just pay. And then this kind of keeps, keeps that circle going of ransomware being really good business to be in. Yeah. Um, what else? I mean, I'm hoping to see increased collaboration to kind of go back to my story. And, you know, we have America, which was traditionally like the more, the more mature market in terms of cyber and then EMEA, which is also fairly cohesive. And then APAC, which is a lot of different countries kind of banded together in one geo, you know, one geographic re uh, region. Um, so hopefully there can be more collaboration there as well between the different, the different countries to kind of pull ourselves up to, to a similar benchmark, um, benchmark there. And then I think there's still a long way to go in terms of education, right? So cyber awareness, just of, of people. So we're all completely glued to our phone and used to banking on our phone and doing all those things by phone. And then, I mean, it's a good example of what happened here in Singapore with the, with the bank, was it OCBC, uh, with the SMS scams, like, yeah, people fall for that. Normal people fought for that. And I think it was like, what, $1.9 million or not. It, it was a huge amount of money that people were just transferring using SMS. Cause that's what we do nowadays. 
thinking they were transferring it to a legitimate uh, bank account when it obviously wasn't. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, um, I mean, there's all kinds of sort of uh, stuff going on and making people aware, educating them about uh, the different threats, like as they come out too, because it's always changing, I think is the, the, the difficult part um, uh, on both sides uh, on that front. So yeah, I totally agree. Um, you kind of have like a, like a zero trust in terms of individuals as well. And again, I, I don't want to, you know, talk about my kids all the time, but my, my kids are actually very good at that because I've told them online, basically I told them everything's fake. Like it's, <laughs> it's all just, you know, don't, yeah, don't trust anyone. Anyone sends you a message, anyone, whatever, don't trust it. So my, again, the, my, uh, my eight-year-old, she got sent a message the other day from her grandmother, but it came from like a different address. Like it, yeah, it looked a little funky. And she was like, I'm not going to respond until she proves that it's actually her. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's totally normal. That's the way it should be. Whereas, I mean, maybe you and I, when we were kids, we would probably talk about whatever online and share anything, right? Because it's like, yeah, it's people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think times have, have changed. Um, uh, yeah, on that front. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess we grew up with it too. So we probably got burned a couple of times and figured it out <laughs> along the way. Did you, did you get catfished? Is that what happens to you? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, but definitely spent a lot of my youth online um, uh, uh, and grew up playing video games and stuff and definitely got some stuff stolen in video games for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I used to play like Diablo and a lot of item trades gone wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, good times. Um, cool. Well, thanks, uh, Alexander, for joining. Uh, um, you know, it's, it's good to have the chat and, and welcome uh, have you on the podcast and uh, look forward to, to having you again as well. Um, yeah. And uh, for the listeners out there, please uh, like and subscribe the channel. Um, and uh, we'll post some of the, the information about uh, Alexandra and, and safe security uh, in the, in the link. All right. Thanks everyone. Thank you.